The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC. Now Stanley throwing it up for grabs. And it is caught! What a catch by Brandon Smith. He went over John Reed and just yanked it away from him. Iowa very much alive with two and a half. I just asked the question, who's going to make a play for Nate Stanley? Brandon Smith says, I will. Thank you very much. He jumps over John Reed for the touchdown catch here to keep Iowa very much alive in the ballgame. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This is our new Reporter's Notebook podcast featuring Scott Docterman, who previews this week's Iowa-Purdue game and also reflects on the Hawks' 17-12 home loss last weekend to Penn State. We have Bonenkamp's Big Breakdown, John Bonenkamp's weekly look at Big Ten football, and you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Purdue's Jeff Brom. This Hawkeye's Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include sports reporters Scott Docterman of The Athletic and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, along with award-winning sports writer John Bonenkamp. The Iowa-Penn State game highlights are courtesy of ESPN with announcers Sean McDonough and Todd Blackledge. We very much appreciate it and thank them. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy! <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh. Keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings, moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. The Iowa Hawkeyes host the Purdue Boilermakers in a Big Ten West game Saturday at Kinnick Stadium in Iowa City. It's Iowa's 2019 homecoming game. Iowa is on a two-game losing streak, suffering back-to-back losses to Penn State and Michigan from the Big Ten's East Division. Purdue broke a three-game losing streak last Saturday, downing the East Division's Maryland Terrapins 40-14 in West Lafayette. The Hawkeyes have now dropped to 4-2 and overall and one and two in Big Ten play. A loss in this Big Ten West Division game would almost certainly wipe out any remaining hopes of contending in the West. Iowa is ranked 22nd in the coaches poll and 23rd in the AP poll. Unranked Purdue is two and four and one and two in conference play. The Boilers have defeated Maryland and Vanderbilt and lost at Nevada, at Penn State, and to Minnesota and TCU. Purdue leads this series with the Hawkeyes 48-38-3 and it's won the last two games. Prior to that, Iowa had won four straight. The Hawkeyes hold a slim 21-20-2 edge in games played in Iowa City. Iowa is 59-43-5 all-time in its homecoming games. It's won seven of the last nine, and the Hawkeyes are 15-5 at homecoming in the Ferentz era. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz is the dean of college football coaches with a record of 156-103 in his 21 years at Iowa. Purdue head coach Jeff Brom is in his third year at Purdue with a record of 15 and 17. His overall record as a head coach is 45 and 27 over five years. The Brom coached Boilermakers are 2 and 0 versus Ferentz. In game notes, despite its offensive struggles the last two games, Iowa remains one of the best defensive teams in college football. The Hawkeyes rank fifth in the FBS in scoring defense and total defense and fourth in each of those categories in the Big Ten. Iowa has allowed just seven touchdowns in its six games this season. Only Penn State and Wisconsin have allowed fewer, with five and four respectively. The Hawkeyes are one of just six teams to allow just two or fewer rushing TDs. With his touchdown pass late in the fourth quarter last Saturday night against Penn State, Iowa quarterback Nate Stanley moved into a tie with Drew Tate for second all-time in program history with 61 TD passes. Chuck Long holds that record with 74. 
four. Wide receiver Amir Smith-Marset leads this year's team in receiving yards, and he needs just 65 more to become the 42nd player in program history to reach the 1,000 yards receiving mark. Purdue has a prolific passing offense, including deep threats, but its running game has been anemic thus far this season, averaging a meager 63.5 rush yards per game. The Boilermakers' defense, despite shutting out Maryland in the second half last week, is allowing nearly 30 points per game to opposing offenses that ranks 12th in the Big Ten, ahead of only Illinois and Rutgers. The Boilers have played the last three games without their season-starting quarterback, Elijah Sindelar, and in a huge blow, they are currently without star-wide receiver Rondale Moore, who had been listed earlier in this week as doubtful, but confirmed by Brom as out for the Iowa game. Despite missing Moore, Purdue's quarterbacks have completed passes to 12 different players, and 10 of those have scored at least one TD. Redshirt freshman quarterback Jack Plummer had an amazing game, as did true freshman wide receiver David Bell, and both of them were named Big Ten Players of the Week for their performances. In tidbits and nuggets, former Iowa defensive back and legendary star Bob Sanders will serve as the Hawkeyes' honorary captain at this year's homecoming game. The contest will be televised by ESPN2 with announcers Beth Mowens and Anthony Beck. As usual, it will be broadcast on the Hawkeye Radio Network with announcers Gary Dolphin, Ed Podolak, and Rob Brooks. It will also be on Satellite Radio, XM Channel 196, and Sirius Channel 99. And lastly, talk about a youth movement. The Boilermakers have played 30 true or redshirt freshmen in their first six games this season, including 12 as starters. And broadcast school has really paid off. That music means Bonenkamp's big update is next. You can follow John Bonenkamp on Twitter at John Bonenkamp, and you can read John's articles on Sports Illustrated's Hawkeye Maven at maven.io forward slash Iowa and also at hawkeyesmike.com. John talks Big Ten football week eight in the 2019 season. John Bonenkamp's back for Bonenkamp's Big Breakdown, our weekly look at the Big Ten Conference football games last week and the week to come, and what some of the betting looks like on those contests. This week, there are six Big Ten contests. There are four divisional matchups. Starts Friday night when Northwestern hosts Ohio State, and that's a rematch of the 2018 Big Ten football championship game. Four of the nation's 12 remaining undefeated FBS teams are in the Big Ten. The most surprising one there is probably Minnesota, but also Ohio State, Penn State, and Wisconsin. They're all 6-0, and and that means they're all bowl eligible already halfway through the season. With its shutout last week, Wisconsin became the first FBS team with four shutouts in the first six games of a season since Oklahoma did that in 1967. With Iowa's uh, defense against Penn State last week, Penn State lost its ranking with Ohio State as one of the top five nationally in both scoring offense and scoring defense. Ohio State's still there. They're still averaging four 49.3 points per game and allowing just 8.8. That's pretty amazing stuff. And if you look, John, at last week's results, important contest for the West. And of course, as you have mentioned many times and we've discussed, Purdue seems to get healthy just in time for the Iowa game. They defeated Maryland at Purdue 40-14. to Of course, the Penn State-Iowa score. Maybe the biggest surprise, not so much the result, but the spread there was Minnesota just, you know, beating Nebraska from one end of the field to the other Thirty-four to seven. I think it's time that I mean I know a lot of people you know have kind of dismissed Minnesota, but I do think this is a really good football team, and you know for them to do what they did at home the other night, I, I think is a sign that you know this is a team that's that's gonna it's gonna be a challenge for somebody, and I mean you know 
can they beat Wisconsin, which I think, you know, I mean, which you're going to have to do if you want to win that division. And and I'm I'm not so sure they can, but I'm also I'm also not so sure they're not going to finish second. You know, it's like this is a really good team and 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 you can just tell by the way they're playing right now. They're playing with a lot of confidence. I mean, again, they 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 they're going to be getting their schedule is going to get a little tougher here in the next few weeks, but you've got a little momentum now and and you've got some confidence there and I and that can be a really big thing as you get in late October and early November. Okay, let's look at this week's games. Uh, John's information comes from the Points Bet Sportsbook at Catfish Bend Casino in Burlington. First up, I uh, just mentioned it a few minutes ago, Friday night, Ohio State in Evanston to face the Northwestern Wildcats, a 7.30 p.m. kickoff. Interesting. There was an interesting story in today's uh, Chicago Tribune about how this could be a logistical nightmare getting to the game because it's it because there's going to be so many Ohio State fans. They're kind of like when Iowa shows up in, in, in Evanston. And it's a night game in in the suburbs on a Friday night. And they told about how when Notre Dame played there a few years ago, what a nightmare it was, you know, getting in and finding parking and getting into the stadium, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they think it's going to be the same sort of deal on Friday night. So it's something to watch. I think that's kind of a side side note for this game that's interesting. Um, Ohio State's 28-point favorite over under 40, 49 and a half. You know, I, I think Ohio State, you know, when these numbers, you know, given 28 points like that, that's not a surprise. I mean, this is a team that can roll up a lot of points and can hold teams down, and Northwestern's just not very good this year. So, you know, I, I think that's that's a line. I, it seems big, but I, I think Ohio State covers, and, you know, I'm not so sure that's not an over game because I think Ohio State puts up a lot of points in that game. Yeah, Northwestern would then drop to 0-4 in the conference and 1-5 in all of their games. That's uh, kind of a surprising record for the Wildcats. Okay, let's turn to the Saturday games. First up, interesting contest. 11 a.m. kick on BTN. Wisconsin at Illinois for the Illini's homecoming game. Yeah, Wisconsin, 31-point favorite but the over-under is 51. So that's saying that 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 they think that, that Illinois isn't going to score, basically, because it is. I mean, I again, that's a number. That number seems maybe that the, the minus 31 seems, might seem a little high because I think Illinois, Illinois put up some points last week against a very good Michigan team, very good Michigan defense, I should say. You know, so, you know, what do they do against Wisconsin's defense? I don't know. Like I said, that that point spread seems a little high, but, you know, I think, I think the over-under seems legitimate because I think this is like maybe a 38-10 game somewhere around there but I think Wisconsin if, if you're going to do a money line game take Wisconsin then you're not going to win a lot of money off it but it's a yeah you know, I'm not so sure they cover maybe you want to take Illinois plus 31 see what happens yeah I forgot to mention in the last week's results Wisconsin just creaming Michigan State 38 to nothing I don't think the win was a surprise but wow shutting them out yeah, that's a really good Wisconsin defense. So Okay, next, Purdue and Iowa, but we're going to take that last. So let's go to the 2.30 game on BTN, Indiana at Maryland. Is there a line here? Yeah, Indiana uh, minus five and a half, which, I mean, I mean that that's kind of saying what Vegas thinks of, of Maryland at home. Over under at 59 and a half. I mean, I think they see this as being kind of like a, you know, a, a 40 to 30 game somewhere around there. I mean, I, I think it could be, I mean, I think it could be high scoring. You know, I that's one of those games I I, I really kind of stay away from just because you just both of them are so unpredictable. You just don't know. But I mean, it's I, I found it interesting that Indiana was favored by that much on the road. But I think it's a sign of kind of what Vegas thinks of, of the of the Terrapins at this point. Now we turn to Minnesota, where it looks almost certain the Gophers are going to start seven and zero because they're at Rutgers for the Scarlet Knights homecoming, two thirty p.m. BTN. No line on that one again. Um, yeah. It, it, Whatever reason that I even looked, I looked at, at like two or three different places and I couldn't find a line. If there is a line, I mean, I think Minnesota is a heavy double-digit favorite, and I think the over/under is probably around 50. You know, I think you take Minnesota there as, as we, and I'll just say it every week: Rutgers has cashed it in, and um, so so I mean, whatever the whatever the favorite is against them every week, take them because I think whoever it is is going to roll it up on them. Okay, let's turn to maybe one of the more interesting games in the country, potentially. 
potentially. Michigan at Penn State, 6.30 p.m. kickoff on ABC. I think this will be a test to see how good Michigan is or isn't. Yeah, I, interesting line to start out. This started out, Penn State was a seven-point favorite. It's up to nine in some places I looked. It's eight and a half in some others I looked. So that means there's there's money out there that's going on Penn State. They think this is going to be a, a, a big Penn State win, and, and, and I think it will be just because I think Penn State's defense is just that good. I mean, the other day, on the other day on offense against Iowa, basically they did kind of what Michigan did. Was yeah, one of the best quotes the other night came from James Franklin when he said, "Tonight we reserve the right to punt and play great, great defense," and that's what they did. So um, you know, I, I I think Michigan's offense is you know it's it's a good offense, but I but I, I saw it shut down by Iowa's defense in, in Ann Arbor a couple weeks ago, and I see Penn State doing a lot worse there. I mean, the over under is forty seven, so I think people are seeing this as I think maybe Vegas is seeing this is like maybe a you know a, a 37 10 game you know in favor of Penn State I just I think they don't think Michigan's gonna score on them so um I think I think you know I, like I said the the money is out there right now on Penn State because you can see the line going up so um you know I'll be curious to see what it looks like come game day okay let's turn to the game here where uh, most Iowa fans are interested to see number one if Iowa can retain its pretty high ranking defensively in all of the stats and number two to see if the offense can get healthy against a pretty leaky Purdue defense. 11 a.m. kickoff, ESPN2, Iowa's homecoming game. Yeah, it, it, another interesting line. There, it seems like there's some money out there on Purdue because the line's kind of dropped a little bit here in the last in the last couple of days. Uh, Iowa was an 18-point favorite. I saw as much as 18.5. Now it's down to 17.5, so that means there's money out there on Purdue. I think people are thinking that Iowa's offense is struggling so much right now they're not going to cover over under 48.5. You know, I think Iowa's defense plays really well in this game. I mean, I, I think, you know, I mean, they, they held Penn State the other night to 17. They've held Michigan to 10. You know, I think they probably do the same thing to Purdue. It's just a question of whether Iowa can score or not. You know, I I, I was kind of wavering. I'm kind of wavering on this game. I, I thought about Iowa and, and, the, and given the points just because I thought, well, maybe this is the day they kind of roll it up. But you never know. And I mean, the way this this uh, this way this offense is playing now, and there's now, now there's two blueprints out there on, on how to defend them and you know whether Purdue has the capability to do that I don't know but um, it'll be curious to see what it what it looks like on on Saturday like I said the money's out there on Purdue right now I think there's not a lot of confidence I think in Iowa covering you uh, have a score in mind yet um I'm gonna say I I don't think Iowa covers I'm gonna say Iowa 35 I, I don't even want to go that far I'll, I'll go Iowa 28 uh, Purdue 10 so that, so they'll cover I'll, I'll, I'll t- tell you what if the line's 18 they'll push if it's 17 and a half they'll cover. So I, I'm going to say Iowa 28-10. Chancho. When you are a man, sometimes you wear stretchy pants in your room. It's for fun. Time to hear from the head coaches in Saturday's game. First up, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz, who provides his view of this year's Purdue team and the Boilermakers program under their head coach, Jeff Brom. You know, I've got total respect for the Purdue program. Coach Brom, his staff have done a great job, third year into the program now, and, uh, you know, they've done a really uh, excellent job right, right away. Uh, they had a tough loss two weeks ago, bounced back extremely well last Saturday against Maryland. And uh, I'm stating the obvious here, but the quarterback played extremely well. Uh, young quarterback did a great, great job. Uh, they've got an outstanding receiver uh, who was the freshman of the week in the Big Ten. And then their tight end's been a good player and had another uh, another good game, too. So uh, they're, you know, offensively, they, they pose a lot of challenges. They're going to threaten you in a lot of different ways. Good scheme, a uh, very challenging scheme to prepare for. And I would say the same thing about their defense. They're very multiple. Uh, and we're going to have to really do a good job of uh, recognizing things and then communicating and then hopefully executing uh, against them. So, you know, it's a big test for us, and uh, there's nothing easy in college football. I think we've all been around the game long enough to understand that and appreciate that. And this team's outplayed us the last two years. So, you know, the challenge is for us now to uh, face a tough week of challenge and uh, or up, tough week of uh, preparation, excuse me, and then get ready for the challenge that uh, is in front of us on Saturday. So. We're excited to be back in Kinnick. We certainly know we've got a lot of work to do between now and game, uh, kickoff, but uh, 
you know, we'll keep chipping away at that and hopefully be ready to go to 11 o'clock on Saturday. Ference discusses the challenges Purdue's offense presents to opposing defenses. I'm, I'm not laughing at the question. I'm just laughing no matter what cash time, nickel, you know, whatever, regular. We better defend the ball deep. These guys throw it deep as well as anybody we've played, in my opinion, at least over the last uh, two years. And they did it again Saturday. They threw the ball down the field really well. So... Um, I'm, I'm even more focused on our deep zones uh, than I am our underneath zones. But they, they do a really good job of uh, – they run the ball effectively. They've got a good scheme that way. I don't think they uh, overdo it, but they, they do it enough to, to be effective running the football, and then they throw the ball really well. And uh, I know Coach Brown was a you know, quarterback, so I'm sure that's got a, a lot to do with it. But, yeah, they threaten you all over the place, and we've had a hard time you know, defending these guys. Just in general terms, I would say um, – it's not uncommon for, for the game to end and, you know, boy, we didn't throw the ball deep enough today or, you know, whatever. I don't think they say that very often. Like, you know, they'll, they'll take their shots down the field. And, um, you know, I, I, I can't say I'm an um, expert on his past, you know, uh, Western Kentucky or wherever. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's, that's certainly in his DNA. And they like to – they're going to test you out down there. And, it's, and then, you know, if you've got good receivers, that's a good thing too. And this quarterback did a nice job throwing the football. But they'll, they'll throw it all over the place. Iowa has a two-game losing streak, and Ference was asked about the importance of senior leadership during tough stretches of a football season. It's really important. And uh, just, you know, but the whole team has to be thinking, right? Usually the younger guys, you know, that takes some while. Not all. Like, you know, Goodson, I think, is a pretty good illustration of a guy who kind of gets it. But... Uh, a lot of times younger guys don't quite understand, A, how competitive it is, B, how tough it is to be uh, doing all the things that we're asking them to do football-wise, socially, and academically. Um, but the bottom line is, yeah, it's, it's no fun. I mean, it's no fun losing two in a row, I can tell you that. And, uh, you know, I think the older guys probably hurt more because they've invested more. You know, they, they've been through it a little bit longer. Uh, but, yeah, the, the, they're the guys that really, you know, kind of, show everybody how to do things, how to handle things, how to respond, and how we move forward. Most importantly, how we move forward. And Kirk Ferentz talks about blocking out the negativity coming from outside the program after back-to-back -back losses to Michigan and to Penn State. I, I don't worry about it with me. I worry about it with our players because they, they have exposure to the real world. And I, I listen to the NFL Network and ESPN coming home or going, you know, coming in or going in. And, um, yeah, there's not a lot of Iowa talk on either one of those. So that, that's not a problem. I uh, did glance at a headline the other day. Uh, in fact, I saw two things over the last five days that were interesting in papers, but I won't go into the one. Uh, but I saw something about, you know, nothing special or whatever. And, I, you know, to me, 08 was a special season, and 04 was a co-10, uh, co-Big Ten champ season. So that was special to me. Uh, so, you know, I, I think, but that, I understand that mentality. Next, we hear from Purdue head coach Jeff Brom, who gives his opinion about this year's Iowa football team. They don't give up points. They don't give up big plays. They make you earn it. Uh, they've got some size up front, a really good defensive end. That's a projected first-round pick, maybe t possibly top 10 pick, and a lot of good players around them. So it'll be a, uh, another test for us to see how we can manage up front in the trenches. Uh, on offense, they control the football, run it, mix in the pass, um, use the clock, and uh, you know try to really play fundamentally sound football so it, this is a needs to be a great week of practice for our guys we need to uh, find a way to um, you know go on the road and beat a good opponent uh, and it'll be a tough it'll be a tough matchup Brown was asked about the progress of his defense especially after shutting out Maryland in the second half last Saturday in West Lafayette yes I think we're making progress um, you know what uh, you take away a, a draw that ran untouched in the end zone for 30 yards uh, and a third and one naked that ran untouched for 50 yards played a pretty solid game now you know i didn't think their quarterback threw very well he had some opportunities uh, they had a touchdown called back early uh, or could have been a big score uh, we had the interception that gave us momentum so a lot of little things happened that helped us uh, and, and that's needs to happen as well but I, I think in general uh, we, we played fundamentally more sound uh, I, I think we understood the package a little bit more and I think we you know especially on third down tried to you know be a little more creative and, and like we did in the second half of Penn State and give some different looks and disguises and all those little things help uh, and there were some new faces in there there were uh, so you, you you wonder how they're going to adjust but you got to give our defense credit when you shut someone out regardless of the circumstances that's that's a great accomplishment, and uh, uh, we need to build upon that. And I think uh, hopefully we can gain some confidence. And you know we're going to face a different animal th this week in a physically strong front, and 
the running attack with some play action off of it that we're going to have to be able to handle that. Tom assesses Iowa quarterback Nate Stanley. Well, he's got great experience. He can stay in the pocket. I think earlier in the season he was playing outstanding and uh, did a very good job. And then they ran into a couple tough contests playing against Michigan and Penn State's defense. And those are two outstanding defenses. Uh, so that uh, tested him in their offense. But I think he's got great experience, great poise, and he does a great job running their system. And Jeff Brom was asked why he's been successful in the two games his teams have played against Iowa under Hawkeyes head coach Kirk Ferentz. Well, there's no secret for me to that. I think, um, I know uh, we went down there the first year and um, we hit a couple big plays. They pressed us. We had a couple big plays over the top. Our defense played well and we just found a way to win. And uh, it was just kind of one of those games. This past uh, year at, at home, you know what? We found a way to score early, which is important against them because they want to control the football. And they want to run the clock and we got a lead early, which helps. It's always going to help against uh, the way they play the game. So we just kind of things went our way and uh, we had some luck on our side. That is the key against Iowa. You're going to have to find a way to get a lead, make them play a little bit different brand than they want to because when they can play Iowa football, uh, they have a good chance of winning, and, and coach, uh, coach has done a great job there, and they're consistent and steady every year. Visit HawkeyesMike.com and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Medium and Twitter. It'll be 12 straight wins for Penn State against the Big Ten West. And now Stanley and the Hawkeyes have lost two in a row. Penn State goes to 6-0. and oh, They'll move up some more. Started the preseason at 15. They were number 10. So Penn State a winner. 17-12 is the final score. Time now for our weekly reporter's notebook feature this week with Scott Docterman. You can read Scott's articles online at theathletic.com slash team slash Iowa dash Hawkeyes. You can also follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Docterman. Scott reflects on Iowa's loss to Penn State and he previews the matchups in this Saturday's Iowa-Purdue game. We welcome back Scott Docterman again for our preview of Iowa hosting Purdue on homecoming at Kinnick Saturday, 11.01 a.m. kickoff on ESPN. But before we talk about that game, Scott, let's reflect on Iowa's second straight week of offensive misery last Saturday night under the lights at Kinnick, the 12-17 to loss to Penn State and kind of did for the offense like uh, Michigan the week before. Yeah, pretty painful performance offensively. And, and in this case, it was about punching in a touchdown. It wasn't until the very, very end when Iowa got across the goal line and then couldn't get a stop at the end of the game to get the ball back and put itself in position to win. And and really, it's I think it's frustrating. The Michigan game was probably more frustrating because I think that was a more winnable game and a beatable, more beatable opponent. But when you look at, uh, at Penn State, I I thought everything was there for Iowa to, to pull out a victory. I mean, you had, you know, not only the home game, but you had all the exterior factors from a 2019. You had the striping of the stadium. You had the, the gold-colored jerseys, the 2019, you know, just all of these factors to keep everything in a fever pitch. And yet the offense just has some clear deficiencies. I don't think it's a lot, but it's enough to lose these types of games. And I think that's probably what's going to be the most frustrating for Iowa is, they had opportunities to win against Penn State and Michigan and didn't clear and kept them from getting that victory or either one. And now you're looking at kind of also ran status, which seems to be kind of par for the course for the Hawkeyes. I guess you could point to the defense again, continues to excel, continues to remain highly ranked. But when your offense averages 7.5 points a game, you're not going to win very many contests in any conference. Yeah, and against those two types of teams, that just makes it that much more difficult. I would kind of say that the the game plan against Michigan was woefully deficient. Iowa got away from what it does well, and Michigan made them pay for it by the way that they attacked the quarterback. Iowa never really came back with a, a counterpunch and uh, looked bad doing it. That one to me was on the, the way the, uh, the, the development of the game plan and then the lack of a second punch, if you will. Now, I think Penn State, 
I mean, it was a good opponent. Iowa had two miscues that really cost them. And, you know, let's let's face it, if Iowa scores one more touchdown, it's 20 to 17 or 19 to 17 or something to that effect. And that's not, you know, a, a score that's not representative of the type of performance that either team was capable of. So I'm not as harsh on the offense in this case as I am the way that uh, the, a couple of positions pass protected and failed to run the football. And I think there there's a couple of areas Iowa absolutely needs to get better at, or they're capable of not only losing to Wisconsin, which I don't think is a stretch right now, but I think losing to other opponents that could be, you know, like a Minnesota, for instance, down the road, or even a Purdue uh, that would really cause some consternation among the fan base going forward. Yeah, I think if you just point to one number on each side of the line in terms of Iowa's national rankings in the FBS, Iowa's scoring offense is now ranked 94th. Scoring defense is 5th. Total offense for the Hawkeyes is 65th, and scoring defense for Iowa is 5th. That's, uh, that is an amazing contrast. It is. I don't know that, you know, again, I'm, if Iowa was playing Illinois and Purdue in the last two weeks, I think those numbers, obviously, they would look a lot better. Um, playing Penn State, that, that you can't just take that number singularly. You have to take it among the fact of who they played and why it got there. Now, this week, Iowa's going to score 40-some points. I have no doubt about that. And then when they play Illinois, they might score 60 again like they did, or same thing with Nebraska. So those numbers will, will grow. To me, I think it's it, rather than the total number of points scored, other than the Michigan game, I think it's about executing when you have the opportunity to execute. Because, you know, had Iowa scored 11 points against Michigan, it would have won. Had Iowa scored, you know, six more points against uh, uh, Penn State, it would have won. So I think it's really, you know, considering you're going against top flight defenses, it's not about the numbers, the statistics, as it is the execution when the opportunities are there. And that's where Iowa failed, because I think Iowa has some problems in the interior offensive line. And I think scheming-wise, they're failing to take advantage of certain situations. And against good opponents, let's face it, Penn State's a top-10 team that may only lose about one game this year. You're talking about an opponent that will you may only get that one opportunity, and Iowa's not taking advantage of it. Okay, let's turn to the Iowa-Purdue game, and we'll head straight to the offensive-defensive matchups for the Hawks and the Boilers here in a moment. But Purdue has won the last two games against Iowa since Jeff Brom came to West Lafayette. They snapped their own three-game losing streak last week by beating Maryland at home. When you look at Purdue's defensive numbers, 29.8 points per game, giving up on an average and 445 yards of total offense a game. Just like you mentioned a moment ago, if Iowa's offense can't get healthy this Saturday against the Boilermakers, there is a big problem. Yeah, there absolutely is. I mean, this is one of the worst, if not the worst defense that we'll face this year. Well, you know, Rutgers might be pretty bad. But in Big Ten play, I think this is a deficient team that Iowa should be able to take advantage of, and that includes red zone. I think that's going to be really important for the Hawkeyes this week is can they make them pay when they get close to the goal line because what we've seen is Iowa has hit a lot of big plays this year and it's probably in a better area than I've seen in a long long time the problem is what do they do then and then they don't do anything and that's that's where the real problem is for the Hawkeyes is you know once they hit that 36 yard pass from Amir Smith-Marset and they get to the four yard line everybody hurries the line of scrimmage and they jam the ball in the middle of the line and then nothing you know and then they're second and you know they lose a yard and I think that's something that they can't afford to do this week you know this it's kind of like what Kirk Ferentz had said you know that you know you can't if you're on defense you've got to look at it what could they have done better because in this type of game even a good defensive effort you might surrender 20 plus points because Purdue is so explosive so in this in this way I think it's about executing when the opportunities are there on offense and taking advantage of takeaways if Iowa can somehow corral them let's uh, go back a moment and focus on what you were commenting on in terms of the interior of the line, not counting the play of the center position. What do you see going on there? I think there's two factors. And if and if one of the guards, you know, against Michigan and against Penn State was a freshman, we could say that it was both commun- miscommunication and, uh, and usually point that to experience. Well, you can't in this regard because it is a fifth-year player. And I hate 
trying to, to, to point out negativity necessarily, but but there's a lot of times where they're getting beat mano a mano repeatedly in pass rush situations where against Penn State, it was Robert Windsor. Against Michigan, it was a lot of blitzers. And uh, left guard was unable to pick up those blitzers. It was unable to block a guy one-on-one. Iowa struggled to, to revamp its blocking procedure, and, uh, it, and it cost them. And it cost them in the running game, too, because uh, the left guard just failed to execute a lot of zone runs. And, and the one thing about the zone scheme is it's it's really good for cumulative effects if each guy can at least make contact with the defender. If you can't make contact with the defender or stay with the defender for more than a second or two, then that usually blows up the play. And in this case, it happened more often than it should have. And that one position cost them dearly in a lot of key plays. So uh, this week, you would expect that to be better. But, uh, you know, Purdue does have a few good players on the defensive side of the ball. So it could it, there could be some challenges. And I think the problem with Iowa is, you know, say they run on first down and get four or five or even six yards. If they pass on second and two and, or second and four and get a sack, it derails the entire drive. So they're going to have to be better at that position, whether it's the same player or it's a different player. On the right side, Mark Kallenberger got the start last week because of the injury. And Justin Britt played some. And Kirk Ferentz talked Tuesday at his press conference that they're definitely not going to redshirt Britt. He's going to see more PT. He has to. I think at this point, uh, you have two guys, Cody Entz, a redshirt freshman, and you have Justin Britt, a true freshman, who to me look like they are going to be the uh, the future of that position group. Uh, they've got three years after this year, and both of them are young. Both of them are going to make mistakes, but if they're going to make the same level of mistake as the, the current left guard, then I think maybe it's time to just to go ahead and make that switch because you're going to be building towards something as opposed to, to maintaining it. Now, with Mark Kallenberger, I like the way he played. I think he, uh, you know, in pass protection, he was pretty good. He struggled a little bit against the run and allowed a, you know, a, a free uh, defender that caused a turnover. But and that's what's going to happen with younger players. His mistakes were, you know, uh, maybe lack of experience. But I think he shows some toughness and grit. He got better. I think he's going to get better because eventually, let's face it, I think one or both of the tackles will be in the NFL next year, and he's going to be starting on the outside. So you want to get him as much experience as possible. So I do like having him in there. I think he's a good player. I think he's going to get better. And I think this might be a good week for him to really, you know, take that step forward. Stanley had a better game than he did against Michigan. He's now thrown four picks all season versus nine touchdown passes. He's averaging still uh, 252 yards a game passing and completing over 61%. Still looks like he holds on to the ball a little bit long sometimes. Uh, He does a little bit. And now I'll say this, that one of the sacks that he gave up was not on him. I think it was a smart play to actually take that sack. And that was, it was a quick pass, which meant quick blocking by everybody up front. And that, you know, cut your defender, get him down on the ground, throw a slant. Well, in this case, Penn State read the play very well. Micah Parsons, who's going to be playing a lot of Sundays in the NFL, he's a terrific five-star linebacker for the Nittany Lions, dropped right into the slant zone, which is where the pass was designed to go. Stanley pump faked it because he, if he would have thrown it, it would have been an interception. And by the time he pump faked it, he looked around, there was nobody open, and uh, the Shaka Tony, who was going up against Tristan Wirfs, had gotten up off the ground and had enough time to sack him, and that really wasn't really his fault. Now, I think a lot of times he experienced pressure up the middle. He does hold on the ball a little bit too long. I think that's going to be something that he's going to have to coach himself. Coaches are going to have to coach out of him at the next level, but, you know, he got hit 11 times, and a lot of it was up the middle, and as as a quarterback, that's not always your fault. I think the edge is one area where you can step up in the pocket, you can move laterally a little bit to, to gain a little bit more separation from the defender. But in this case, when it's right up the middle, you have nowhere to go. And that's where I think Iowa's biggest problem has been the last two games. Yeah, he looked pretty bruised at the end of that game. You know, only sacked three times, but pressured quite a bit. At least it was better than what was going on at Michigan the week before. Well, it, it was and it wasn't. And here's why. It was, it was because from a communication standpoint, Iowa was much better up front. Um, but uh, the other part was they were getting beat one-on-one a lot more. I mean, what happened against Michigan was that Michigan threw a lot of different blitzes, a lot of different types of uh, pass rushes at Iowa, and they weren't able to corral it. This one was just simply, in most cases, one guy versus another guy, and their defensive line is outstanding. And so they were able to take advantage of those matchups, which really caused some issues for Iowa, obviously, um, especially you know Robert uh, Windsor, their uh, defensive tackle, will use this tape and get drafted around higher than he should based 
he's talking about how he played against Iowa. Still didn't get to 100 yards rushing last week. Yeah, that's still a problem. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and a lot of that, again, was, was uh, caused, you know, sacks kind of, you know, chopped it down a little bit. I think they ran the ball effectively at times. Tyler uh, Goodson looks really good. I think he looks comfortable. I think he's going to be a star for the Hawkeyes. Uh, but I think right now they need to uh, find a way to kind of cut down on the, uh, you know, to make sure that out of the guard spot that they ex- execute their reach blocks. And if they can't get to a reach block, at least hit somebody and stick with them in front of them, uh, which will enable some of those cutback lanes to open up for four to five yard gains. And I think that's right now kind of the, the issue with the running game. I think the running backs are, are playing well, by and large. I think, you know, on the edge, they're setting the edge really well. I think right now a lot of the problem is, you know, the, caused by some of the, you know, interior flow. And then also, you know, you got to give credit to Penn State. They were terrific and they are terrific and they're going to be very good, you know, all year long. So I think that they caused a lot of the issues as well. Stanley attempted 43 passes. They only tried to rush the ball 30 times. Was that just because of the flow of the game? Or is it you seeing the same thing that you were critical of, I think, the week before, that they went away from the run at times when they shouldn't have? I think they were much better in that this this time around. Uh, the week before, I was very critical because they went away from it way too early. I mean, tw- you know, they're only down a touchdown at that point, and they were down uh, the 20 out of the last 21 plays were pass plays um, against Penn State. The only reason why it was skewed, and it, and it wasn't really overly done, was uh, the fact that, you know, the, the last drive of the game, I think 11 out of the final 12 plays were passes, and they were down by 11 points, and they had to score. So, you know, that, that's something that's more forgivable, per se, you know, and I think it matches more with what Iowa could do. But And they did try to run the ball a little bit more, and it was effective at times. So I, I don't think they got away from their game plan. I think it's and, you know, as much as I think there's a lot of hand-wringing about this team right now, I'm not – I was probably more optimistic about them than most people after the Penn State game because I just think Penn State's a great team. And I think Iowa had an opportunity to win, fell a little bit short, but nothing to really suggest the sky is falling. The Michigan game, uh, you know, we, we I'll, I'll argue that one for years to come, that that one was blown by the coaching staff. A couple of the receivers had really, really solid games last Saturday and, and really have shined all season long. You saw one of the best catches you'll probably see all year that Brandon Smith made on a long pass play and had that touchdown and Smith finished with 86 yards in catches. Smith Marset 72. Nico Regani played well and you finally saw the tight end get some action. Yeah, it was, a, it was good to see Nate Weeding be able to, to grab a couple passes. I think he's somebody that they need to get involved in the game a little bit more often and, uh, and it showed. I think, you know, finding that I thought the Michigan game was where they really miss TJ Hawkinson, you know, across the middle, some of those plays where they just needed an outlet and he didn't quite, and there wasn't one. And, but I think I was glad to see, you know, Nate, we didn't get a little bit more action and, and catch the ball. But yeah, I mean, the wide receivers have come through for Iowa and, you know, Brandon Smith, Amir Smith, Marcet, Nico Regani, all of them had 24 catches so far this year. I mean, they're, they are producing at a level that we haven't seen since at least 2011 with Marvin McNutt. So at this point, I, I'm pretty positive about the passing game. They're picking up a lot of chunk yards, big plays, pass plays that are going down the field, that are attacking, that are winning matchups. It's really, it, it's what's the worst part about this for Iowa is it's a play here, it's a play there, it's a deficiency here, it's a deficiency there, because otherwise they are right there in these games. And really, you know, we're breaking this down in a, in a negative tone, but they lost two games to two ranked teams by a total of 12 points. I mean, they didn't get blown out. They're good. They're a good team. Iowa is a good team. I think they're a good offense, and I think they're going to show that this Saturday. As bad as Purdue's defense has been and struggled, and the 29.8 points per game is 12th in the Big Ten, they put some numbers up in terms of the opposing quarterbacks that don't even make sense in terms of what they're actually giving up to opposing offenses, but they've got 36 tackles for loss, 14 sacks, five quarterback hurries, that's 55, and they've got a terrific defensive end, a true freshman from West Lafayette, 6'4", 265, George Karloftis. Yeah, he's outstanding. He always 
always has been. And I mean, it was a five-star and it was, when he went to Purdue, you're kind of like, oh, wow, okay. This is kind of in similar vein to Epineza going to Iowa. So he's going to be a handful for, you know, whether it's Jackson or Werps or if they decide, you know what, we're going to move him inside because we know exactly, you know, unless Iowa makes a, a personnel change, you know, that's going to be an issue for Iowa. So I can see that happening uh, because that is the weakness. And, you know, now they, their pass defense is, is horrific. I mean, they're 13th in the Big Ten. So, you know, and then they on their total defense is uh, they allow 445 yards a game, you know, so that's 13th. I mean, if it wasn't for Rutgers, then they would be, a, they would have a much more looking team. But, you know, I do think, though, what we need to do is, is look at it that, you know, Marcus Bailey going down with an injury early in the year really hurt. This is a team that's built up to, to pass the ball and, that, and try to outscore its opponents. It was, a, I was really kind of surprised last week when uh, the way Maryland was unable to attack, but they've had some issues at quarterback. So, I, you know, I like, I like kind of what they're able to do, but they're kind of boom or bust. If they get, if they can get you, you know, and certainly Karloftis can do that, but if they can't, this is the, the type of team where you can just score on it. It's not all that dissimilar to what we saw last year. Their linebacking group has really good numbers this season, too. Kind of a weird stat. That their leading tackler is their linebacker, Ben Holt. He's got 60 total tackles, and then it drops all the way off to Karloftis, who has 29. So, I think I know the answer to this question, but Iowa's offense matching up against Purdue's defense, who has the edge? Oh, this is easily Iowa's offense. I mean, you know, I yeah, Iowa has dropped off quite a bit based on their last two opponents, but yeah, think of this opponent a little bit. You know, I, I think people need to close their eyes and remember, what was it like to play Middle Tennessee State? What was it like to play Rutgers? What was it like to play Miami of Ohio? This is what you're going to get. Now, they have one elite player. They've got a couple of other good defenders uh, that you got to be cognizant of, but this isn't Penn State. I mean, you're not going to have seven, eight, nine NFL talents on this defense. You're looking at one or two. So this is going to be an Iowa game. Barring turnovers, barring crucial penalties, barring stupid mistakes up front, where they're going to score at minimum 40 points. Okay, let's turn to Iowa's defense matching up against Purdue's offense. This is an offensive scheme under Jeff Brom, who likes to throw the deep ball often early, and that burned the Hawkeyes in the last two games. Both of those were losses. They're missing two of their uh, better players on offense. Certainly the quarterback Elijah Singular is out. Wide receiver Rondale Moore is listed as doubtful. Uh, Brom didn't sound very optimistic Monday at his press conference. So they've had a backup quarterback step in named Jack Plummer, and he was terrific last week in the Maryland game. Yeah, he sure was. I mean, 33 of 41, 420, three touchdown passes. I mean, you're looking at him going, okay, uh, here you know, in steps another Purdue quarterback to go light up everybody else and uh, you know whether it's Sindelar a couple years ago playing on a on a crazy knee or uh, last year with David Blau who certainly had his best season so you know this is a you know this is a team capable of scoring and and I I know Iowa has been cognizant of this I mean even in the summer they there's a lot of praise and a lot for for Jeff Brom and the way he attacked because he's not afraid to attack down the field and I think one of the smartest things he does is that if he sees a weakness he's going to attack you and he's going to keep attacking you till you beat him because most of the time coaches are uh, you know they, they tend to, to withdraw a little bit you know they'll see like a play that beats the opponent and they go, okay I'm going to write this down and maybe we'll come back to it later and uh, Jeff Brom goes we're just going to keep attacking you I mean what we saw two years ago was proof of that when uh, you know you had uh, you know Anthony Mahogany as your uh, as, as their wide receiver and they went right at Manny Rugamba got him benched three straight no, four straight passes three completions at a PI touchdown, they took the lead. Came right back, did exactly the same thing against uh, Michael Ojemudia. He got benched. They threw Matt Hankins out there. Touchdown. They win the game. Last year, Iowa had two redshirt or true freshman corners out there. Attack, attack, attack. And and they have good receivers. David Bell, a guy Iowa wanted in the absolute worst way, and <laughs> recruited him as much as any player that they haven't won in a long, long time. Is absolutely terrific. You know, he's fifth in the Big Ten with 26 catches. He's six, 438 yards. He's got three touchdowns. Plus, Purdue just seems to have a, a guy named Anthrop every year for the last, I don't know, 50 years, it seems like. But Jackson Anthrop is, is kind of their uh, version of Nico Regani, I, I would say. And, and uh, you know, Bryson Hopkins is an outstanding tight end. I mean, he's a, I saw him, you know, the last few years, and I thought, okay, he's not quite Hawkinson Fant, but he's a second to third round talent. So, you know, 
they've got a plethora of good receivers here. And to go along with, with Plummer and the way he threw, they're going to have to get pressure. But the problem with the pressure is they get the ball out of their hands so fast that you're going to have to cover every blade of, uh, in this case, rubber filament on the field. And, and uh, that means Iowa's going to have to, instead of continuing to kind of spike with the 4-3, they're going to have to go to a cash, you know, five-man, six-man defensive secondary in order to, to stop them. Because if they can cloud up the lanes a little bit, then I think that'll stop Plummer, and then their pass rush can get there. Because if not, you know, they're going to they're gonna throw the ball all over the field. They're not going to be afraid to do it. And uh, it doesn't matter what down distance, whatever, they're going to keep doing it. And Spiwa's going to have to make sure that it clouds up the, the passing lanes just enough to where the pass rush can get there. Because otherwise, they could be teeing off, and it could, you could get in a shootout. And that's the kind of game Kirk Ferentz hates. And when you have a prolific offense like this that's showcased that, you know, last two years against Iowa, it could be a real dangerous combination. To your point, the tight end Hopkins had 10 catches last week for 140 yards. And also, last week, it was frustrating, I'm sure, for a lot of Iowa fans. It was pretty noticeable watching the game from up in the press box, the matchup issues that Iowa's defense had trying to cover, for example, a Penn State's K.J. Hamler. You saw linebacker Nick Neiman out there time and again trying to cover Hamler, and he couldn't do it. Yeah, it looked exactly like uh, the, the beginning of Remember the Titans when uh, Ryan Goslin's character was out there and, uh, you know, he, his name was Allen and he couldn't cover the guy and, and so then they replaced him with Petey, you know, who was more athletic and could, could do it. And that's exactly what it looked like. And I thought this is a matchup Iowa cannot afford to get into with K.J. Hamler. He's an elusive, electrifying slot receiver and yet they, they got caught. You know, in each of Iowa's, you know, in, in all three scores from Penn State, there was an issue that Iowa allowed them to score on. And one was the defensive, you know, first of all, the, the, the fumble and the interception led to points, 10 points. But then when you look at this situation, it was, you know, having Ben Neiman one-on-one with K.J. Hamler, they they do a great job at Penn State of, uh, of attacking your weakness. They've done it before, and they did it the other day, which was, okay, we got our our world-class athlete, you know, one-on-one with a bigger player. We're going to exploit that. And that's what happened for a first down and then a touchdown. And Iowa didn't get out of that defense. And so I think this case, um, you know, luckily for Iowa, you won't see Rondale Moore this week because he's as good as uh, Hamler is. Uh, Moore is probably a little more physical and, and a better receiver as a whole. But, you know, but David Bell can certainly equate people in space, as can uh, Anthrop. So I think Iowa has to get out of that mindset. You know, now Kirk tried to diffuse it and say, well, we're, we're talking, we're worried more deep than we are, you know, in the flats here. But th- they can burn you. And Iowa's just going to have to get used to it. I know they, they're reluctant. They, but at some point, you've just got to turn that page. And this is, this is the week where you have to because coming up, you're gonna you're gonna see some some more of this. I mean, a little bit against Minnesota uh, coming up. Uh, you know, maybe not Northwestern, but and then you're gonna have to incorporate some of it against Wisconsin, whether you like it or not. So uh, both Plummer, the quarterback, and David Bell, who you referenced, won Big Ten Player of the Week awards last week. Iowa's defense still led by the linebackers as a whole, but Jack Corner has really emerged, second leading tackler on the team now after coming in partway through the season. Yeah, I just put together my mid-season review of the Hawkeyes, and, and he is my breakout player. I think he's really come to play and play well. He, he's, uh, you know, somebody a walk-on, of course, and had to step in because of injury, but he really closed that gap in training camp with him at Kayvon Merriweather. He steps in in the second game and, and has played really well. He's done a lot of heads-up work and done a lot of good things. So I, I think, you know, one thing with uh, with the way Kerner's played, he's very physical, but he's also cerebral, and, and he kind of fits the line of a lot of those things safeties that Iowa's had over the years. So in, in, in most efforts, I would really give him, you know, plaudits. And then I, I think the MVP of the defense to me is Geno Stone because uh, Iowa has switched a lot of coverages over the last few weeks. Iowa has tried to do whatever it can to neutralize the opposing offense. And in a lot of cases, that means move Stone around. And he's really kept everybody sane in the backfield despite all the injuries. So uh, I really like that. And then up front, I think they got 
got more out of their pass rush and, and their uh, line of scrimmage play than they had all season long against Penn State. You know, really, to me, the, the one area where they have to get a little bit better, that they have not been very haven't been exceptional. They've been decent at times, sometimes good, but is their linebacking core. I think the linebackers are are decent, maybe good, but not to not great. And I think it at late in the game it kind of showed it against the Nittany Lions. They only have ten sacks on the year. They've got twenty one tackles for loss. They do have twenty one quarterback hurries. It seems like a lot more teams are going for that, you know, the real quick get the pass out. I, I timed the Penn State quarterback last week several times and he was getting that pass out in under two seconds consistently it's almost impossible for any defense to get a sack when that's going on and that's you know I, I think you got to count that as a win and anytime people bring this up you know the lack of sacks and it's you know yeah they're they're 90th in the country and uh, you know with only 10 and last year they had 35 which was terrific but you also have to you have to look at it holistically you cannot look at it individually when you have a defense this good and when you're fourth in the big 10 and what fifth in the country, I think it is, and or seventh or something in, in total defense at 260 yards a game. You know, you have to, to take that into account. Same thing with scoring defense. They're allowing 10.2 points per game. Penn State entered that game averaging 47 points, and Iowa allowed 17, 10 of which off turnover. So I don't think, you know, I, I think it's really unfair for, for the, the criticism that they've received about their lack of pass rush when you look at how good they performed as a whole. They're keeping people out of the end zone. They're, uh, they're forcing a lot of punts. They're playing excellent, de- uh, excellent teams and holding them to, to punts and to you know, field goals on occasion. You know, Michigan, 10 points. Penn State, 17. So the lack of pass rush, yeah, I think, but I think those are gaudy statistics. I think that's kind of like uh, you know, passing touchdowns or you know, long bombs or something like that. So I, I don't I don't chide them as much for their lack of sacks because watching the defense play as a whole, they're commanding the line of scrimmage. AJ Epinesa is commanding two players per pass rush, but it's not a quick set. So I think they're doing everything right, and uh, the sacks will come, but uh, they'll they'll come within the, the scheme. And if they're forcing quick passes and those passes are incomplete, there's nothing wrong with the pass rush. Well, that's right. Would you rather have a bunch of sacks or one of the top five defenses in the country? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, I've seen a lot of good teams be boomer bust at this in, the, in that department, which is, I mean, look at last year with Indiana. Indiana decided it was going to blitz Iowa night and day and try to get to the quarterback. Iowa was successful in picking them up, but okay, they get through for a couple of sacks. But guess what? He threw six touchdown passes because they single covered a two a pair of NFL tight ends. So I think right now you take the defense, the stats are, are terrific. Okay, the, the pass rush isn't quite there, but they are altering the their, their offense around your excellent style of play. So who has the advantage? Who has the edge here? Iowa's defense versus the Purdue offense. I'm going to I'm gonna go push. And I, I think that's because Purdue will be able to get some plays off. I mean, Purdue is too good, too electrifying, and, and too proficient to look at what Michigan and, and Penn State did, because I think they're a better passing offense than both of those teams. Now, I do think Iowa will be able to contain them, but I, I think it's realistic to, to believe that you're going to give up 20 plus points against the Boilermakers and that may uh, you know may look like to be a little bit of a negative but they are explosive they'll probably hit for a big play or two and they're going to their quick tempo will also strike Iowa at the wrong time however I do think Iowa will contain them throughout much of the game okay quick look at special teams what stands out to you so far in terms of Iowa's special teams obviously Keith Duncan is among the leaders in the nation field goals percentage 13 of 15, including 7 of 8 from over 40 yards. Yeah, he's doing. He's had a pretty nice you know, year so far. I mean, last week missing a field goal hurt, but it wasn't killer necessarily. It wasn't, they didn't lose because of that, and, and partly is because they would have lost if they would have kicked the extra point. They would have lost 17-16 instead of 17-12. But, uh, you know, I, I think he's been fine. I like the kickoffs. Uh, punting has been a little suspect, you know, inconsistent at times. Sometimes it's been outstanding. Other times it's been uh, mediocre, and I think Michael Sleep Dalton tried to, to be too cute on his first punt, and as Kirk Ferentz described it, as almost a turnover when you have an 11-yard punt, and, and that's costly. Now, it didn't hurt him long-term, but it did hurt him on field position, and that's something that you, as a punter, that's what you're there for. You're there to flip the field. You're there to make sure the offense has an extra first down or two that they have to get against a bend-but-don't-break pretty good defense that controls the line of scrimmage.
scrimmage. And when you can't do your job, then somebody else has to do it for you. So I think by and large, he's been really good. But, you know, now on the return side of things, I think they've really struggled. I'm not sure that I, I, if I were Iowa, I might contemplate a change at punt returner because it's Nico Regani's having a struggling tracking the ball. He's a very good slot receiver, but I don't know that right now he's the right guy at that position. And uh, maybe he will be in two years, but I would consider Geno Stone in that. And then also a kick returner at some point, Amir Smith-Marset's going to explode for a couple of returns. It hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. And it might even be this week. Nearly every team Iowa's facing this year, that team's punter has like the game of his life. You know, they were continually getting pinned deep last week again with the Penn State punter. You know, the punt return, they that one to me, they've got to get better at because, yeah, field position's been an issue. It was an issue last week. You know, Rutgers game, well, I mean, they, they won 30 to nothing. They could have won 60 to nothing if they didn't have some of those punts. But, you know, but then you look at, uh, you know, the Penn State game was costly. I mean, you know, and happened to go from inside your own 15-yard line, I think it was six different times, against that team and that defense, that that has an impact. And I'm not going to say that's the reason why Iowa lost, but I'm going to say that that had an impact on why Iowa didn't win. Just one comment on Purdue special teams. Again, missing Rondell Moore. He was their punt returner and kick returner. That's that's missing a lot of firepower. Well, he should be in the NFL right now. I mean, he's one of the very few players I've seen, you know, that was good enough as a freshman to go to the next level and compete right away. And uh, that, that misses a lot. He is an ex- exceptional player at, that, at every position that he's at. He is the prototype of what you want in a slot receiver, and he can translate that over to the special teams. So, you know, now Purdue's got some dynamic firepower, you know, it, it, at their, you know, in, in their receiver group. So they're probably going to have somebody capable of, of hurting Iowa. But at the same time, I think that they have, uh, some, you know, they're, they're not going to be quite as explosive or try to do too many things. All right, so it's time for the prediction. Iowa hosting Purdue on homecoming in Kinnick. Will the Hawks bounce back? Iowa will bounce back, and Iowa will end the two-year scourge against uh, the Boilermakers. And uh, it will there there will be some points given up. Purdue is too good to you know try to shut them completely down or out. But Iowa's offense is going to be off to the races. I I've been more impressed with its offense than most people. I think the Michigan game was a hiccup, and I think the product of playing a good defense cost them last week. So I think Iowa wins this game comfortably with a lot of points. So I'm going to go Iowa 45, Purdue 24. Break out the champagne! It's in the bag! The fat lady has left the building! Our thanks again to ESPN for the Iowa-Penn State game highlights, and thanks as always to Scott Docterman and John Bonenkamp. We hope you've enjoyed this program. All Hawkeyes Mike podcasts are available and can be subscribed to on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. HawkeyesMike.com, podcasting original programming on Iowa athletics for 13 seasons. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.